Warning, this podcast contains topics and discussion that is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the E&M Talk podcast with Michael and Ellie, where we discuss everything ethical non-monogamy and have intimate conversations with real people from the E&M lifestyle. On this podcast, we'll talk about current events and topics that people who practice ethical non-monogamy can relate to. Our show is not about lifestyle gossip. In fact, the names have been changed to protect the not-so-innocent. Would you like to be a guest on our show? We want to hear your story. Okay, episode six. And we have Karen again. Hi, Karen. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? You get to talk to the most cool people, I swear. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get this thing kind of going. We're really super excited about this particular month. Can okay. I introduce your guest? Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> You're, so our guest today is a writer and a public speaker and a vocal trans advocate. She's the founder and editor of EmpoweredTransWoman.com and also of Smart Sluts, an initiative to promote female sexuality. Cassie Breider, welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Sounds like we have a, a room full of fun, witty people. So this is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have questions? Yeah, I do. Kathy, first of all, I'm so happy to see you again because it was a wonderful, wonderful time on the phone with you when I did my interview with you. And so I want to touch on a lot of things that we spoke about, but that didn't get into the interview on the paper. But let's start with what are things not to ask a trans woman? <laughs> okay, that, that is actually a good question. I, I think that the people that ask that question are often really surprised when I list some of the answers because they would never think of asking those things. <laughs> uh, one of the most immediate ones is what they have between your legs. Just like you wouldn't ask at a dinner table conversation, you wouldn't ask whoever is at the other side of the table, you know, what does your vagina look like? Or, you know, are you circumcised? Or, or you know, do you have long labia? These are not usual <laughs> topics like pass the salad. And by the way, what does your clue it could look like you know um, <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> true though right along the same line you know and i understand why the curiosity is there usually when you meet a cis man you kind of can assume you can you can pretty much conjecture what's between his legs and and when you meet a trans woman there's a little bit of this uncertainty but i'm trying to find the it, the, the way the best way to express this which is your curiosity does not equal um, the trans woman's, you know, need to disclose anything. Uh, I've had um, a two, two, two experiences that really highlight this. I was renting a room to this uh, really chipper, bubbly gal, and uh, we got to talking, and, and I was liking her up until that moment. <laughs> I was liking her. 
And uh, I decided that because we're going to be sharing a bathroom, she might as well know. So I figured it would be the polite thing to do. I told her that I'm trans and she was fascinated by me from that point forward. And she started asking all these enthusiastic questions. And so one of them was, of course, what do you have between your legs or have you had the surgery yet or however is phrased. And um, I was taken aback by the fact that she she found this so such a cavalier question. I and so what I told her is, listen, hon, how about if for the sake of renting a room, we don't talk about each other's crotches just yet? <laughs> <laughs> right. And the other example was a Lyft driver here in Vancouver, Washington, across the river from Portland. He, Vancouver and, and Portland are two completely different cultures. We call Vancouver. Yes. We are Kentucky. familiar with this. <laughs> And so he was telling me how uncomfortable he's going into Portland because there's all these weirdos with different color hair and I decided to have a laugh because quite often I look like a soccer mom. So people assume that I have conservative values, which cracks me up. So, um, <laughs> so I'm telling him that I'm, I'm, I'm fine with the weirdos with colored hair that I don't, I, I don't know if I could pull it off, but I, I, I applaud them. And then he said something about them homosexuals, and I thought it was really funny. They they added you in homosexuals was really funny. So <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know, I personally think them homosexuals are all right. And we got to talking about those people. He was talking about hate the sin, but not the sinner. And I was like, you know, that's not quite as yay uh, a slogan as you might think. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, you know, gave him a little bit. He was telling me about his church and whatnot. And so I decided that, that I was close enough to home where I could walk if need be. And I was like, you don't know I'm transgender, right? And it, it was really funny watching his brain short circuit at many different levels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I then from that point forward, it was a little bit of a timer inside my head saying, let's see how, how long it takes him to ask one of these obnoxious questions. Not long at all, no, just seconds after. And, and the way he did it was also particularly obnoxious because he was like, well, have you had the... Making the thing, the, the scissor motion. <laughs> yeah, scissor motions. And I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> that's not even remotely how that works. I, I just, I was stopping the car because it, it was time for me to exit. And I said, that's not a question I'm going to answer. That's not a question you should ask. So I think that's the the primary one. Uh, but also, by the way, there there's a caveat that there's nuance to everything because if you're on your third date or however many dates it takes you to get to bed with a trans woman, then before you get to bed, you should find out what equipment you're going to be uh, interfacing with because it's going to be germane to <laughs> what's going to happen. Right. So it, it's really contextual. If you're going to be intimate with a trans woman, it is a very much a fair question. You're in a dating situation. But it's one of the, I think, important things is that we're going to probably be a little bit defensive if, if worded with, I just want to find out so that I can give you a good experience or something like that, it probably would help rather than some kind of more the curiosity or or I'm going to discard you based on your answer, which is probably the worst. So that's important. And then one of the absolute complete taboo questions is uh, about dead name or about past experience. Right. Now that varies and I'm hoping that I'm going to help shift the culture. I personally don't have uh, such a phobia for what's referred to as dead name. 
my birth name is by birth name. It's not necessarily dead. I don't mind it. It sounds weird now to hear it. It's generally fallen into disuse, but occasionally I find my old Facebook profile, which is still up, and it's always a little bit of a, oh, the hell. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm not ashamed of my past. The, the thing, though, is that up until very recently, and still so in, in many parts of, of the world, many parts of the country, mention of your dead name could expose you, could get you killed, could lose you a job, could lose your relationship, and has done so. So the, the backstory to that is huge. It's not so much that we have an aversion to a name. We have an aversion to all of the consequences of what that could entail. I happen to be a really open trans advocate. People know I'm trans. Therefore, people know that at some point I might have had a male name. So I wouldn't necessarily object to being called that. But there's also some something that happens to your brain because you know me as Cassandra. You, you call me Cassie. It conjures up an image in your head. If I gave you uh, a male name that you can associate with me, I think that it would somewhat corrode that 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 perception of myself. Absolutely, I totally yep. agree. So, yeah, and the, the worst possible phrasing that I've ever heard about that was somebody asking, "What's your real name?" Uh. Um, that is really fucked up because this is not a drag performance. This is. My, my real name is Cassandra. So I, I recently found a clip of Muhammad Ali and the actual fight is called, it's on, on YouTube, it's called the What's My Name fight. God, I love this so much because I felt like he was championing trans people everywhere. <laughs> because this guy mis misnamed him. This guy was calling him his old name in, in a pre-fight interview and uh, Muhammad became really irate and he said, why are you calling me that? There's all these white people here respecting me and giving me giving me my proper name of Muhammad Ali. And you have to go and disrespect me like that. And the other guy is unresponsive and keeps kind of challenging it. On the ring, Muhammad starts pummeling this guy. And on every single punch, he says, what's my name? And punches him again and says, what's my name? And... Uh, <laughs> I watched that and I nearly climaxed those right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's awesome. Oh, yeah. There are others, but what, what's between your legs and, what, uh, uh, and what's your, your former name or whatnot? One of the key things to, uh, to, to ask yourself when interacting with a trans person is, to what extent are you going to experience this the way that you experience being at the zoo or at the circus or watching some kind of a freak show on TV? To what extent are you going to make the person in front of you the sensational object? And to what extent are you actually just going to have a human life lived experience with a human being? And that that's going to drive a lot of the discourse, the, more so than like thinking in terms of what technically is proper and improper. It's just like, don't be a dick. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, because that's something that you, when you were talking, it's like, and you were talking about what's between your legs, it's like, and and that you should be, you know, by the time you get to the third date where you're going to be interfacing with that, that's the time when you need to know. And I would actually say there is no other time that you need to know. Like, unless you're going to be interfacing with that part of that person's anatomy, it's not any of your business. And... Yeah, and quite often, one, one of the things, and I don't know that I have a succinct way to get this across, but is the question in any way guiding 
uh, discrimination in any way guiding an othering or a dehumanizing of the person. Right. I found a really good analogy with lesbians. And this is a, my friend Margot told me this as an example. She's married. Her wife and her have a two-year-old daughter. Margot didn't birth this daughter, didn't carry this daughter. And she finds it extremely offensive that every single time she introduces her daughter, people say, oh, who carried her? Because what what is the purpose of that other than to de-rank her as a mother, exactly. other than to take something away from her? Yeah. Right. So, and what is the point of the question? That's, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Lucky, you have so many stories, and they're really <laughs> funny and entertaining and wonderful, and you put a lot of them in your um, storytelling act, which I think is fantastic. What I'd love to know is what made you decide to take parts of your life and bring them up on the stage? And then also, how did you then figure out what parts you were going to put up there and what parts you were going to leave personal for yourself? Oh, this is a great opportunity to plug a close friend of mine. Eleanor Kathleen O'Brien is the the producer of Dance Naked Productions here in Portland. And she runs a wonderful little scheme (laughs) called uh, Stand Up Smut. Uh-huh. Yes. And uh, once a month, we gather and we do something akin to stand-up comedy, except that it's all sexual. It was one of one of my first exposures to Portland as I moved here, as I moved here, and I was fascinated with her. What's really funny is that when I saw her on stage at Stand Up Smut, my reaction was, "Oh my God, who is this woman? I have to get her now." Her, <laughs> and she told me that when she met me and she heard me speak, her reaction was, "Oh my God, who is this woman? I have to get to know her." So. <laughs> Well, she's kind of awesome. <laughs> she is awesome. Yeah. I was invited to stand up smart. I ended up presenting there a few times. Then uh, a couple of times when she had to be absent because she she travels for her performances, she asked me to fill in and I got to be a little bit of a regular at stand up smart. But nice. I put together a piece. Yeah. I put together a piece for stand up smart. And I, I think this is one of the things that made Eleanor fall in love with me is that I, it was a prepared piece, but I prepared it on the lift on the way to <laughs> to that evening so it was prepared within 15 minutes it's almost um, improv <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but it was it was a, a story in three pieces a story in three acts and uh, the original story was called three fox and three epiphanies <laughs> um and that was the 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 essence of the story that eventually when I met with Reba and with Eric from Mystery um, Mystery Box. Mystery Box yeah. Storytelling. There's another word there. Mystery Box Show, I think, yes. Storytelling. Anyway, storytelling. Yeah. Mystery Box, yeah. So um, I, I told them a few stories, but I told them this particular kind of an arc, and they, they thought that there was a lot of potential there. So then I started building on that. And my original story was only about four minutes long. So I stretched it and I added a few things. But um, I really liked that narrative because it's something that I really kind of wanted to bring up is the maturing of my sexuality and the, the maturing of a really delayed, really tragically delayed sexuality because of the fact that I was trans. How long it took me to find my center sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I thought that was a, an important story worth telling. There's things about trans people that people are really exposed to in the media, but there's a lot of things about 
are experienced that are worth mentioning and and they never quite seem to, to be the focus. A lot of a lot is made about bathrooms. God, we talk about bathrooms ad infinitum, uh, and it doesn't seem to be that interesting a topic. But you know, this is uh, a person's sexual fulfillment is something that I think is pretty crucial to their life experience. And I was just kind of hoping that some 20-year-old trans girl out there is listening and that she's going to have an epiphany a lot, a lot quicker than I have. <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, this is a good time to take a break here for a minute, and we will be right back after this. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm just over here getting my profile filled out on SAF Social. Ooh, and what is SAF Social? SAF Social is a new social network for lifestyle people. It's super cool. It works a lot like Facebook as far as posts and feeds and pages and stuff. And people can share sexy photos on a site that is hidden from prying eyes. Mm, like that. And that looks sexy and fun. Can anyone join? I mean, can I make my own profile? Yeah. And the best part is it's totally free. Just go to safsocial.com and register. I can't wait to see your new sexy profile. Oh, and be sure to follow the ENM magazine page while you're there. Uh, I'm going to go register right now. <sighs> And we're back with vocal trans advocate Cassie Brider and Karen Tortorelli, who is the writer of her article that you'll find in ENM magazine. Yay! Great. It's all—it's all on you. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit more about um, sexy time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's do that. <laughs> that is what we're here for, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was no well to get a little serious for a second there was one thing that you said in your stand-up and you said that your body was an apology in every sexual encounter and I'm curious what that meant at the time to you and how that's something that you are working on overcoming or if you've overcome it talk to me about that a little there's a great book called The Body is Not an Apology, and it's a book that I strongly recommend. Uh, and it, it resonated a lot with me, and that's why I used, used that reference. I um, have been a part of sex-positive groups since 2014, 2015, uh, and I did a lot of catching up a lot for, for the wasted years, and I participated in many sensual activities. In, I've been in many rooms where there's a whole bunch of naked people. And there's been some positive experiences out of that, but it's always been with this tremendous trepidation and uncertainty about whether or not I'm going to get something awful said at me, whether somebody's going to make some stupid remark. And invariably, over the course of an evening at each one of these events, at least one person would make a stupid remark. I was very aware of the fact that I was different. I was very aware of the fact that I was uh, lacking in a normal in a normalcy. I'll give you one example of this. Um, I'm sure that the person didn't mean any harm by it. We, I went to an event called the Massachusetts Shrine event, and this is a really uh, wonderful event where 
three people take to uh, each massage table, and there's several massage tables in the room. I don't know who came up with this. It's pretty standard. That's Six Positive LA and Six Positive Portland. And uh, a wonderful activity. Groups of three people take, I think in LA it was four people because of lack of tables. Naked in a massage table, there's really uh, good rules for consent. And each person gets to ask what kind of touch they want for the next 15 minutes. And the people touching them get to decide whether or not they want to deliver the kind of touch. But the boundaries are set pretty well. And then for the next 15 minutes, you have your time. And that works really well for cisgender people. But for me, there's this added layer of, I don't know who's going to feel comfortable touching me. I don't know who's going to feel comfortable with me touching them. And so that adds a lot of complexity to the room constantly in every single one of my interactions. A really stupid example, and this is early in my transitions, to some extent I have to allow for the fact that I didn't quite look as feminine as I look today. And the fact that I was naked. When I'm naked, my genitalia was exposed, and that would create all kinds of problems for me. So I was getting off my table, and this man who thought highly of me and, and I'm sure was trying to say something complimentary said, uh, Cassie, it's really hard to think of you as a woman when you're sporting such a massive boner. <laughs> oh, gosh. Which is the kind of a thing that a bro says to another bro, I think, in a fist bump kind of a positive thing. But to me, it spoke to the center of my terror, and it just made me shrivel. And after that, I never took off my underwear again at one of these events. There's a lot more to it, but these are the kind of experiences that made me constantly feel that there's something wrong with my body, and I don't know how to fix it. And, And it would make me walk really hesitantly into rooms like these. And then I met my partner, um, my, my most recent partner that kind of opened me up to a completely different experience in terms of sex because this person really, really liked my body exactly the way it was and and was very enthusiastic at interacting with it. And there was never a sense of like they were being agreeable or, or slumming or, or, or putting up with. And I had honestly never experienced that. So that was that was quite a shock and it it kind of raised my standards and now i don't put up with the bullshit (laughs) (laughs) and you shouldn't have to right i think the least that could be said is that we all still have a long way to go we all still have a lot to learn about uh interacting with different people and uh and i don't mean different as in different as in not normal i mean different just as in we're all unique and we're all different and yeah, and we're all we're all guilty of this. I'm not just because of the fact that I'm trans doesn't I mean that I'm any more woke, and I only use the expression sarcastically uh, <laughs> than than anybody else. I I remember I I have a penchant for tall black men, and I remember saying this at a sex party to to a man who was sitting next to me. I said, you know, I I forget how I worded it, but it it now looking back, I can imagine how objectifying that felt to him. So I think that we all fall into these things, and we don't. And it's Sometimes so easy. Are... It's so easy. Yeah. 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 But, I, yeah. I, but I wanted to applaud that your bravery for even putting yourself into this situation, knowing that you were putting yourself in uncomfortable territory, but that you, but that you did it anyway and you went forward with it. I mean, that, that seems like that had to have been just a really difficult thing to do. I'm an extrovert uh, to a fault. I, I tend to poke the bear. <laughs> and a few times I was thinking afterwards, why do I do this to myself? 
Because without that story, there isn't a valuable lesson to be taught, right? Yeah, that's true, too. You learn in each one of these settings. Something that comes out of this, by the way, which is portable, not just to experiences with trans people, but with everyone that you ever plan to have sex with or be romantic with, is there's a lot of questions that we usually don't ask that need to be asked. One of the most important ones is, what do you call that? What do you call your body parts? Uh, and it's something very important to ask a trans woman or a tra you know a trans man, trans people in general. Uh, it's very important to ask, what do you call your body parts? But also, this is a good lesson to ask a woman. This is a good lesson to ask a man. This is a good lesson to ask anybody. My first girlfriend hated the word boobs. So uh, she, she had this understanding of the word boob as, as a simpleton, as a, as a stupid person. And it does oh. exist. You know, that exists. Yeah. So she she had somehow equated that. So she didn't want to hear the word boob. She liked tits. Mm -hmm. She liked breasts. But but during sex, the, if somebody said, I like to touch your boobs, that would turn her off. It's important to know what language we, you know, some people like cunt. Some people really, really react negatively to that. Right. Right. Uh, it was really funny. I, um, I was arguing with a Trump supporter on Facebook a couple of years ago, and he called me a cunt. And I had, I had two minds because... <laughs> On one side, I was like, how dare you? On the other side, I was like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so speaking of words that can offend or not offend, um, talk to us a little bit about smart slut. Yes, um, I, I, that, I like alliteration. So it, it, I loved when those, those two words came together. Um, I really like um, the the slut walk in LA. I participated in that. I'm sure that you all are familiar with the concept of slut shaming, and I oh, fight yeah. against slut shaming as a concept. So I was trying to put together a, an effort, <laughs> and I say this only half jokingly, but sometimes I get tired of talking about trans issues. <laughs> like, can we take a break? <laughs> So I just wanted to talk about, you know, women's issues in general, like the bigger demographic of just all of us women. And most of my friends are women. We talk a lot about sex, also misogyny and things that we exposed to. So it occurred to me I wanted an initiative that dealt with that. And uh, I, I was playing around with the idea. So it has to have the word slut in it because it's a really good reclaiming. Dudes have this word stud, which means they get laid a lot. They get a lot of pussy. Right. We don't have a word like that, and it's it's infuriating. So uh, so I thought of the word slut, and then I wanted to add the the nuance of I don't know if you know Reed Mihalko, um, so he came up with the word sex geeks. I have not. And heard that. I, I really like that, I and mean, he has sex geek camp once once a year, so he has T-shirts that say sex geek, and I like the idea of adding this idea of intellectual curiosity into it. So smart sluts came out, and I really liked it, and. As I surveyed out the name, there were two types of people on very polarized groups, people that would not come on my podcast because of the name <laughs> and people that wanted to talk to me because of the name. Uh, so that was really funny. I was like, okay, so I've hit a chord. You know? There you go. I, I think that that probably has to do just with the word slut. Like I, we, we I identify yes. with the word slut. And, mm -hmm. but then we have used that word in public and there have been people that have just been like gasp. Oh, you use, you can't call her a slut. I'm like, that's yeah. what she is. Yes. <laughs> there, there is a really strong power in reclaiming uh, an insult, a slur. 
I have a gay son, so we uh, when he was 13 or 14, he was getting bullied, and I, I talked to him about how to reclaim a word and stuff, and it got to the point where somebody would yell faggot at him, and he would just laugh it off and, and yell it back. It, it, there's a therapeutic value in that. In my case, something that happened to me very recently is I run this Instagram account called Empowered Trans Woman. Every now and then, just I get a random transphobe or or just a hater and some men just send me dick pics which i never understood like why do they do that i have have theories but that's a whole nother podcast for for your consideration it's just beyond me but anyway so but this man just randomly yelled at me suck i don't know where a stranger yelled at me suck a dick and i responded I do. I will. Several, actually. <laughs> you just described my favorite thing. <laughs> and obviously not yours. But, <laughs> but, uh, and then I added, you know, half the planet sucked dicks. Uh, your mother, depend, you know, probably sucked a lot of dicks. Now, depending on her libido and her age, probably still sucks dicks, you know. <laughs> Try to sleep at night with that in your mind. <laughs> but sucking a dick is not that it's not a bad activity. You know, it's like it's it, not. It, I, I for some I get this flashback. One time I was in Pacific Beach in San Diego and this gorgeous girl in a in a really, really tight bikini, uh in a thong bikini rolled by on roller roller skates and she looked spectacular. And there were these three teenage boys sitting on the on the ledge and they hooted and hollered and yelled slurter at her. And I walked up to them and I said, I don't understand you boys. Do you object to seeing that ass? And they laughed nervously and they said, no. And I said, do you want her to dress like a nun? Is that what you're hoping for? And I said, no. I said like, then why would you penalize her for giving you this wonderful show? Because they're boys. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, the reason is because they're ashamed of their own sexuality yes. and they are deflecting by, by trying to put the shame somewhere else. And mm. that's re- the real sad thing is that boys should not be ashamed of their own hard ones either. You know, it's like layers and layers of everybody carrying their own shame. Right. One of the things that happened as I transitioned is I I, I realized I had to let go of respectability. I, I, I had clung so fiercely to this respectability of appearing to society to be cisgender, to appear appearing to society to be respectable and, and, and palatable to everybody. And I had to let it go. And I, I, I just kind of burned through that spectacularly. And there's a wonderful sentence, I don't know who said it, but I think it's Mae West, who said, uh, there, there's nothing as freeing as a ruined reputation. Hmm, probably. She had spectacular um, scenes such as that. <laughs> Yeah, and so the this this the leaning into the shame and going, yeah, I love taking it up the ass. I I love sucking dick and and saying it unashamedly, just like this is a pleasurable thing that I engage in because I'm human and because I like my sexuality, and not being afraid of whatever that might bring to you. There's a power in that. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, we've got just a few more minutes. So, did you have one more question for her, Karen? Um, I'd love to know if there's anything going on soon that you'd like to plug or, or give us some publicity for or anything like that. 
Well, there were so many wonderful events that got canceled because of COVID. It's a real oh, shame, you yeah. know. Um, there is something that I'm going to plug. Madison Ecker, a good friend of mine, is putting together, and she had originally put this together as an in-person event, and we're going to have a festival by the river, and we're all we were all going to go swimming naked, and I was going to get laid, but that's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> but, <That's right>. How <laughs> sad. <laughs> but uh it's called some of us fest some is spelled s-u-m some of us festival so not some of us as in a portion of us but some of us as in all of us uh s-u-m some of us fest and that's happening very soon july 24th i'm, I'm going to be one of several speakers we're doing this birth virtually now of course but I do believe the website is someofusfest.com, and uh, I'm going to be one of the panelists at that event. But it's generally like all women and femmes and MBs, and and uh, um, it's it's a fun group of people. Michael, sorry, uh, not says white guys, but <laughs> <laughs> pretty much everybody else, you know. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with people like you. Some of my good friends are, are cis white guys. <laughs> It's okay. I'm just being bitchy now. No, no, I totally, I totally understand. Well, I can't even say that I totally understand my privilege, but I'm, I've got this much of it that I got a grip on and, and, you know, it's okay. It's, uh, the, the world is big enough for everybody and, and that's the part of it that's the most important. And, and so there needs to be events that we are not invited to, you know, that sort of thing. So that's cool. That's cool. I appreciate you saying that. And the, the, there's also plenty of events that, that you'll get to participate in. Sex Positive Portland is still going strong in, in, in Portland. And uh, I believe Sex Positive LA is still going strong in LA. There's a Sex, Sex Positive San Diego as well. And I'm not necessarily part of those groups so much anymore, but I just like to plug them because they're good sex positive communities. Smart Sluts is going to have a summit just because I really like alliteration and I like the way start, Smart Sluts Summit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to be in early 2021. I'm going to be interviewing uh, somewhere between 34 and 38 wow. uh, sexologists and, and therapists. That's going to be fun. Yeah, and Empower Trans Woman is going to have a summit also in 2021. Nice. So just stay put, stay connected to my Facebook page. Lots of big, exciting things. So I'll be reaching out to you to make sure we get uh, all of the different URL links and all that stuff so we can make sure we put that in our podcast notes. Um, and so we can make sure we get everybody kind of pointed in your direction, you know, that kind of thing. But that is actually, I tell you, 40 minutes goes by so fast when we're having fun. <laughs> and it, if you have a podcast, then you you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just flies by. So um, Yeah, and then sometimes I say, no, it's okay, we're going to edit it. And then there, there's all these beautiful marshals. It's really hard. <laughs> so then what happens is you end up with an hour-long podcast, and then it's just so hard to... Yeah, to yeah. get people to commit to that much time, you know, that kind of thing. So we have set a hard 45-minute limit, and <laughs> and that's kind of where we're at. So we thank you so much for coming on and yes, being a part of the you. show and for being our first trans woman in the magazine. And it was a just absolute Woo! gorgeous article and sharing your story with us and that sort of thing. It was – it really – it really hit me where I needed to be hit. So I really, I oh, really do. I love hearing that. I really do appreciate <laughs> that. Wonderful. I hope that that article has the same impact on the rest of our readers as well, because 
It, it was a very good article. Yeah, yeah. Super great. Super great interview. Karen. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. And Karen did an amazing job making sure that it was put out there in the most beautiful way. Oh, did, yes. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Mike. Uh, so with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. And with that, I'm going to give more loves from the loves. Mwah! Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the E&M Talk podcast show with Michael and Ellie. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and comment on our show in whatever platform you're using. You can leave us a voice message by visiting our podcast at anchor.fm forward slash E&M Talk podcast or by calling us at 360-524-3523. Until next time, we hope your adventures always have happy endings. <laughs>